We're going to continue our worship series, um, and just as a as a sneak peek, you met Stephen earlier, if you hadn't met him before. Um, Stephen's actually going to be preaching next weekend to continue our worship series, um, so we're excited to have them in the house for uh, the next, well, these two weeks, today uh, and next week. Um, and let me just go ahead and mention, in case I forget at the end, if you're interested in Stephen and Anna's ministry, learning more about what they do, connecting with them, getting on their mailing list, all those sorts of things, they have some information set up on the back table there right before you leave the auditorium, and one or both of them will be hanging out there after the service. So I'd love for you to stop and connect, uh, get information, uh, ask questions, that's that's why they're here, is to connect with us, to build relationships. Um, and as I mentioned, we've had an ongoing relationship of support as a community, but we love the personal connections as well. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and jump into today's message. As I said, we've been uh, in this series for a few weeks now. We've got just a, a couple weeks left. I, actually, I think three. Uh, three weeks left after this. And we've looked at the experience of worship, and then we sort of paused and uh, looked at at an extra passage last week uh, during our online service. And today, we're going to be looking at the idea of who do we worship. Now, that might seem like an obvious answer. Well, we worship Jesus, yes, but there's more to it than that. And if you have been following along, we have a devotional guide uh, that this series is following. If you still want to grab one of those, the table over here in the corner where the purple wall is, there are some printouts, and it simply uh, is entitled Worship. We also have that available in Spanish if you're interested. There are copies of that over there. Um, and so we're going to look today at who do we worship. I want to start by reading a scripture from Psalms. This is Psalms 27.4. It will be on the screen for you. Um, But this is just sort of our jumping off place, and we'll have a few different scriptures and things that we'll go to. But Psalms 27, 4 in the message says, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. And and I would encourage you to, to read the rest of the psalm as it goes on. Uh, describing different aspects of what this can look like. But I want to start with this idea that we're asking for one thing, and what I think is wrapped up in that sentence, to live with him in his house my whole life long. Now, we know that this is not literal. We often refer to the church building as the house of God. We're obviously not talking about that we all need to go buy some cots and move in here and live together in God's house. Now, the other place where we know God lives is is in in the hearts of those who are his followers, those who believe him. And what I think this is pointing us to, a common theme for us that we've been seeing throughout these messages, is that along with everything else that we experience, this entire walk with Christ, this entire thing that we call following Jesus, Christianity, is done in a relational context. And so when it comes to the subject of worship, it's not removed from that context. And what the psalmist is saying here is that if I could only have one thing, it's that I want to be in the place where God is. I want to have that experience of that intimate relationship in a way that it lasts 
for the long haul in a way that it endures and connects. And I live, I would say, in the presence of God, connected to him through the relationship. One of the definitions that we're using through this series that I'm introducing to you today is that worship is a relationship filled with expressions of worth. See, it's, it's, not, it's not defined as just what happens here on a Sunday morning. Now, we just spent some time corporately stepping into worship. And, and I don't know, if it, it didn't end when the musicians got like, because worship is in the context of our relationship with Jesus, expressions of worth. And so I am throughout my day and throughout my life finding ways to express in my relationship with Jesus that he's worth it and who he is to me. Uh, Obvious example, probably heard it many times before, but if you happen to be married uh, or have a close significant other, do you think that it's important to express your love to that person, uh, you know, after the, the, the wedding ceremony has closed? Or is it like, you know, I've, I've pledged and we're together and we're in it and I'm good. I don't know about you, but my wife would not feel good about our relationship if I did not at least occasionally express the way that I feel about her express the foundation of what our relationship is built on, that, that we have a love one for another. And so our relationship, now we know that has all different ways that it looks, right? But in the context of our marriage relationship, there are times and moments in all different sorts of ways where I am and she is to me expressing uh, that we value each other that we love each other, that we're together in this relationship. And that's because it's modeled on our relationship with Jesus. That's what our relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like. And so worship is not something that I come to. It's something that I live. It's the reality of living in a relationship with Jesus where at any point in time, whether silently in my heart or outwardly expressed In a variety of different ways, I am expressing worth. Or you could use the word adoration or love. But I I am finding ways to express to God what our relationship is, that I I love him. And, And we need to be reminded we only love him because he first loved us. Like this whole process of worship, I I don't want to paint a skewed picture by using the sort of the human analogy that worship is not just something that we come and do to God, right? So so we bring something, right? Like we, we show up, if we're talking about corporately, and we give voice to words, and we, uh, we lift our hands, or we dance, or we pray. But that's not doing worship to God. We're expressing our adoration we're expressing our love and in that opening ourselves up and inviting him to come and encounter us and in that place worship begins to happen because god will not just sort of leave you he is going to express back to you and it's not and it's not a give to get 
the reality is we love because he first loved us. And so when it comes to worship, we're expressing those things to him, but he is enabling that process because he has given us everything that we have. He has given us the reality that we live in. He has made possible the relationship that we're trying to celebrate. And he is actually coming and inhabiting when we're entering into a place of worship or praise. He is in that process. It's not a, a one-way street, uh, if you could say it that way. Flip over with me if you want to follow along a few more chapters. We're going to go to Psalms 51. Uh, verses 16 and 17, and these will also be on the screen for you. Psalms 51, 16. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, who can have perfectionist tendencies, I mean, God's worked some of that out, but that hurts. I want to value excellence. I want to do things right. I want to do things well. And he's not saying that we shouldn't. But he says, a flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned, now this is the psalmist speaking, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't escape for a moment God's notice. What is he saying? Going through the motions doesn't please him. The simple act of showing up and doing the activity doesn't please him. Our excellence. Now, our worship community here knows. We, we do value excellence. We want to do the best with what we've got. So we're not advocating that those things don't matter. I like to say if you're playing for the king, you want to play well, right? So so I'm not I'm not indicating that, but what I'm saying is if that's where it stops, then we've missed the boat. If our sole purpose is to provide musical excellence, then we've missed the boat. Because that doesn't impress him. It says I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. One of the things that I think we sometimes don't think about in our modern context is that part of what happens in worship is that it's an opportunity. And, I, and again, I'm saying this is, it can happen here corporately, but especially it happens when I do it alone with God, when I have personal, intimate, or in a small group. There, there are three different sort of contexts that I think we all need to be experiencing worship. We need to be experiencing worship on a personal, individual level. We need to be regularly encountering God in some sort of quiet time or moment that's a rhythm where we have that personal, intimate relationship that's not with anybody else. But we also need to experience what it's like to worship God in a small group. Now, you know we have a value for small groups and the community, and we're not going into all of that. But as it comes to worship, there's a different dynamic that happens when a small group of believers worship together. And then there's a different dynamic when a larger group worships together. And we need to experience the reality of worship in, in sort of all three spheres, if you will. 
But one of the processes that happens, regardless of the context when we worship, is that we're pouring out our heart or we're laying down our lives before God. See, it's not all praise. It's not all just declaring the goodness of the Lord and announcing his majesty, although that's, that's important. I'm not diminishing that. But that's not the extent of it. Part of what we're also doing is we're laying down or pouring out our lives before the Lord and being honest and, and being open with him when we feel broken, when we feel disappointed, when we feel shattered, when we've been knocked off our high horse by life, or when we've been gut punched by the current circumstance. I have found that in those places of pain, disappointment, and confusion, God can meet me the most powerfully if I can come to him with all of that and just lay it bare before him in worship. Rather than thinking I need to clean myself up and get my attitude right so I can sing praise, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. When I laid down my life, and, and basically, for lack of a better term, said, God, I just, I give up. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know where, to, and he will meet you in that. You see, worship is a pathway to come back to God honestly. This is part of our value for authenticity. That, and I, I, tell, I use this phrase, uh, God's not afraid of your mess. If there's something going on in your life that looks like a mess or is confusing or you don't know what's next or you're just hurt, God is not afraid of that. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are carrying heavy burdens. Come, and he doesn't say, come to me and leave your baggage at the door. He says, come to me, bring, bring it all with you. Be open and honest with a contrite heart, you can enter into worship even from that place of brokenness. And what worship allows you to do is to come back into the context of the relationship and express that before God. God, I don't like this. I'm confused. I don't know where you're at or what you're doing. But I know that you are doing something. And Jesus, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to come and enter into your presence even when everything out here is swirling like crazy. I have the opportunity even when I feel utterly broken inside to come back to you. You are the rock. You are solid. You are constant. And I'm asking you, Lord, to come and encounter me in this place. I'm being honest with you. I'm laying my life before you. And it's not because he doesn't know, but it's as we lay things out before him in a process and an attitude of surrender, he's going to help put us back together. Sometimes that means the circumstances will change. Sometimes that means that he changes our perspective. He'll give us a different view of the situation. It's one of the things that, that Romans 12 talks about when we talked about being transformed in the renewing of your mind by the renewing of your mind. And this idea of repentance is it's changing the way you think. God, and it never seems possible until he does it. 
but he can literally illuminate possibilities that you didn't even have on your list as possibilities. It's like you might be facing something today, and you're like, there's no way out. And I've tried everything there is to try, and there's nothing left, and I'm stuck. And yet, God, being the God of the impossible, can say, you know, well, there's this option over here that you haven't considered, and you know, it actually is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I can't tell you how many times for me personally, I have been in a tough situation or encountered something incredibly difficult, and it wasn't until I was willing to bring all of that with me and enter into worship and allow him to speak and work and move and and still adore him and, and express that in midst of all of that, that suddenly in that process, as he works, all of a sudden that unknowable alternative gets illuminated. And it's almost like the key that unlocks the door. That kind of process is is available. Now, we can't force it, right? Well, I, I had a friend one time that told me a story about some things that he was dealing with in his life. And, and one of his morning prayers became this. This was, this, I can't reveal the details, but let's just say it was tough stuff. And it was impossible stuff. Like there were no obvious answers. There were no easy answers. And he began praying every day. God, I thank you that you're with me in this impossible situation. And I eagerly await the way that you're going to do impossible things today. I don't have a clue how you're going to fix this. But I know that your intention is to keep me moving forward. And, I'm, and, and he said as he developed this rhythm, now we're not talking about faking it till you make it, okay? We need to be honest. We're not talking about making up and, and, you know, pretending it's okay when it's not. But what I'm getting at is he developed this rhythm to where as God shifted his perspective, the impossible thing uh, didn't loom over him so much. And it became the rhythm that as he engaged with that rhythm of prayer each morning, he actually, over time, began to feel an excitement because he began to see time and time again where God met him in the impossible things. To the point that as he developed this rhythm, eventually he actually could come and pray that prayer in the morning. And, and the impossible thing's not like gone yet. And he would actually feel joy in his heart and excitement because he would say, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this today, but I know you're going to do something. And I'm actually excited to see the creative and unique ways that you're going to meet me in this and that you're going to carry me through it. I know we've talked about this before, but so many of us, when we come up against hard things, our default tendency is either to turn around and run away or pray and ask God to get it out of the way so I can keep going. And sometimes he does that. But more often than not, because God is not a waster of anything, he's going to take the things that the enemy brought to distract and destroy, and he's going to take that opportunity to make you more like him in the process. And what that looks like is he's going to get in there with you, 
He's going to put his arm around you and he's going to say, let's go through this together. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be confusing and you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to like it. But when we get to the other side, you're going to look more like me. He's going to use that thing. And I want to be clear, he doesn't orchestrate evil. I'm not saying he created that thing that you're going through, but he's saying, I'm not going to waste this. This is one of the, I have to, I just have to go here for a minute. This so blows me away about the sovereignty of God that the enemy thinks he has all these tricks and these things to manipulate, to bring us down and to trick us and deceive us. And God is saying, you're just a chess piece on my board. Everything you throw at my kids, I'm going to, I'm going to take it and I'm going to make them look more like me. I'm going to draw them to myself, even when they're in the midst of difficult things. I'm going to put my spirit in them so that they can come up to that mountain and say, move, and that mountain will move. God doesn't waste anything. So I don't know where you're at today, but if you're up against an impossible thing, come to God in worship. He is going to welcome you back. This is, this is the other thing. See, we, don't, we, we, we have a tendency to, to step away from it because we feel like the difficult things in our life or the mistakes that we've made has caused God to distance. And this is that, see, that's that trick of the enemy. He's saying, no, I'm right there with you. I, my reality is more real. This is that perspective thing again, right? I've probably used this illustration before, but when we lived in North Carolina, you go swim in the ocean. When you're swimming out until you sort of get past the breaking point, as those swells and waves come up, if you're at water level, those things look huge from the perspective of I'm, I'm in the water. That's the way our problems are many times. It seems like the thing that's right in front of me is huge and it feels like it's going to overwhelm me. And God says, I actually have a different perspective. And my encouragement to you today, and we're going we're gonna to go back in the direction we're going in a minute. My encouragement to you today is if you feel like there's a thing in front of you that looks like it's going to overwhelm you, God says, I am here to overwhelm the thing that overwhelms you. See, we have to get that perspective that no matter how big the obstacle in your life feels... We need to ask God, can we zoom out and get your perspective? Because God is bigger. He is more capable. And the alternatives that we don't see because our, our perspective, and one of the things is, you know, as I'm, I'm going back to the analogy, as I'm swimming out and I start to kind of get, it's like, as that last swell comes up before I get out past the breaking point, that's still all I can see. And I don't necessarily know as that swell's coming up, that's like, I just got to go over this one more hump and then I'm in open water. And then things are going to calm down. And then I'm, I'm going to be able to go. I'm going to be able to swim and enjoy and not have to fight against those swells and those waves breaking in. Some of you might be right on the edge of a breakthrough. And, and there's no magic wand, wand you can wave. I, I don't want you to hear this and think that 
Well, worship is, is like a magic tool to get what I want from God. It's not, because I'll be honest, sometimes what I get from him is not what I asked for. Or maybe it is, and I didn't know what I was asking for. Because, you know, it's not comfortable to be changed by him. We would rather just say, God, this thing hurts. Can you take the hurt away? Well, what if I turn you into a person that, that it doesn't hurt that way? But I've got to go in. Uh, sorry, the, I know the analogies are all over the map. But Jesus is like, I've got to go in like the great physician with my scalpel, and I've got to take some things out. I've got it like there's there's places in our lives and and this is going to connect back to worship here in a second. There are places in our lives where it's like we're trying to hold on to things that are not from him. And he's saying, I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt to 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 get this, uh, you know, relational pattern or this emotional like when Jesus comes in to transform to like that's going to hurt. Or it might. But what he's saying is, I'm doing it because I love you. Because I want you to be more like me. I, I want you to, to get past that and enter into the fullness of what I have for you. And that's what I'm saying is, worship is not always... We talked two weeks ago about impolite worship. Worship is not also is not always feel good if you if you have a, a broken and contrite heart that's not like yay god <laughs> it's not a it's not necessarily always a joy feel good sunshine and rainbows moment but it's necessary because in that place of brokenness god can heal anything that comes to the surface that's broken god can heal it and that and that happened. Okay, let's let's get back on track because we're going a whole different direction. Uh, go with me. We're gonna just go ahead and flip this and we'll go there in a minute. Go to Psalms one forty seven. I don't have this one on the screen. This is this is a freebie. Psalms one forty one hundred and forty seven. We like the beginning of this. Hallelujah. It's a good thing to sing praise to our God. Praise is beautiful. Praise is fitting. And, and I agree with that. But we can't stop there. God's the one who rebuilds Jerusalem, who gathers Israel's scattered exiles. He heals the brokenhearted. He bandages their wounds. Now, there's a sobering reality right there. He can't heal the brokenhearted if your heart isn't broken. Now, I'm not saying this is the goal. I don't, we don't all need to go get our heart broken, but he wouldn't say he heals the brokenhearted if there weren't brokenhearted people that needed healing. He wouldn't say that he bandages their wounds if the reality of this journey with Jesus is that we're going to get wounded. He, he tells his disciples that. Don't be confused. There's going to be trials and tribulations and difficulties this road that you walk following Jesus, it's not easy. It's not a, you're not, I just, we just have to go here for a minute. We're not signing up for the easy way. Now, now we have a hope and a reality in the presence of God that, that I will wholeheartedly endorse is worth it. That's that whole process of worship. We're saying, 
even the junk that we have to walk through in this life and the stuff that we have to deal with that's not fun, it's worth it. Because the prize at the end is we get to spend not only the reality of our life here, but the rest of eternity in an intimate relationship in the presence of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if we really understood that reality, I think there's a lot of things that we try to avoid and that we try to not deal with because it's uncomfortable. That We'd say, you know what? It's actually probably worth walking through this fire. It's actually probably worth deciding to keep going instead of giving up and going home. It's actually probably worth following Jesus and finding out what he's doing in the midst of this situation. The, the thing that I want to land on here is that in worship, because we said it's not a one-way street, in worship God responds to the cry of our heart. And that, that's what this psalm is telling us, is that sometimes we come and we, and we pour out our lives, and, and what this last part of the verse is saying it won't escape his attention. So in other words, it's scary to be vulnerable, right? Like even with God, even if you're talking, you're alone in your bedroom at home and you're just, you finally opened up and you're crying out to God. You're pouring out your heart, maybe through tears about this situation or this friend or this thing that has broken your heart. That's a very vulnerable place to be. And my encouragement to you is if you're scared to go there because you don't know, God does not ignore that. It says it doesn't escape his notice even for a minute. A broken and contrite heart, God says, kid, I'm sorry, but I can work with that. I, I can take that broken, messed up place that you're in and I can work with that. I can mold you. I can transform you i can heal the wounds now that's not always okay sometimes that's but it starts there it starts with surrendering saying god you're the only one who's worth it you're the only one who's worth saying yes to and i would even go so far as to say now i have some people in my life that i highly trust and we all need that. You, you need people in your life who you can trust, who you have a deep enough relationship with that they can tell you things that you don't see about yourself. And, that, and God's designed us that way. He's designed us to be in relationship and, and to help each other in that way. But I got to tell you, there is no human that I just fully, you know, to the nth degree, implicitly trust. And it's like, no matter what they say, I'm just going to do it. Because we all know that we're all flawed and we're never going to get it right. So we need to listen to those things. But what I'm trying to get at is, as I have developed and walked in this relationship with Jesus and, and been worshiping him and experiencing him and trying to figure out, you know, everything that we're all trying to figure out in life, I have never once found him to not be trustworthy. I have never, and I imagine none of you have either, 
I have never once found him to give a word and not back it up. And so if he says that a broken and contrite heart won't escape his notice for a moment, then I need to trust that. And I need to be willing to be vulnerable and broken before God. And in the midst of that, say, Holy Spirit, come. Whatever it means for me, whatever it looks like. And and here's the reason. Because who's the one that we're worshiping? It's him. It's the one who's worthy. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who's worthy of that level of adoration. He is above all. And, and I, I, you know, again, we need to declare that reality, right? Like I never get tired of, of, of singing, you know, the big songs. Where we sing about his, his majesty and his greatness. One of the old school songs that we used to sing back in the day was God of Wonders. You know, like, oh, I love that. But never let us get so stuck that he just seems like he's out there, right? Let us know him. Let us adore him. Let us love him.